This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The second lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. For the message of of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Holy wisdom, holy word. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus, who is the light of the world. Amen. The congregation that I served before coming here, which was a long, long time ago, uh, needed more space at the time. They didn't need a lot of space. It wasn't like Lord of Life, but uh, they needed more space. Uh, they were what was called a mission start at the time. And the way that worked was the church body said, we need to start a church here. And they would go in, they'd buy a little bit of land two and a half acres, not enough really. And then he put a little tiny little church there and it had a worship space, a little parish hall, a kitchen and two bathrooms and that was it. And then they gave you the mortgage to that. And then they expected you to pay off that mortgage and and keep growing. Well, they were in the original building when I got there and they had been in that building for 22 years. Uh, I was in grad school and I had accepted this part-time call in order to go to grad school. And we'd been there for just a little bit more than a year, and to everyone's surprise, including mine, that the church had started to grow, and we needed just some more space. Uh, We'd just retired their first and only mortgage a few months before that. We didn't have a single classroom in this church. I want you to think about that for a moment. Uh, A little tiny room, half the size of, a quarter of the size of our narthex, and they had shower curtains that we pulled down from the ceiling that made the classrooms. And so our leaders were just fantastic. They, they uh, said, here's a great idea. Uh, this was in February. Uh, we need to build just a little addition, uh, four classrooms. We'll just make the roof line go back. We'll dig the footers ourselves. We'll, we'll do most of the work ourselves. It's going to cost about 40000 We've got 15000 in the bank right now. We're going to vote to do that in February, and we're going to have it done before VBS starts in June. And I thought, man, this is a fantastic idea. And to my surprise... Not everybody agreed. 
Those that opposed it uh, phrased it this way. We don't need any more space. This space has been fine for us for the last 20 years. Why do we need any more space? And what I really wasn't prepared for was the degree of disagreement. Um, The day of the meeting to vote, uh, and I'm not proud that I did this, but I counted all of the people. Um, There were 21 people, I'd been there a year and a half, who I'd never seen before. Hadn't seen them at Christmas, hadn't seen them at Easter. I don't know how long it had been since they'd been in church, but they got a phone call from a couple of members and said, we need you to come and vote against this stupid building idea. You can imagine what kind of a meeting it was as everybody had their moment to share. Well, it passed. It passed 70 to 31. We built it. We finished it in three months. We had uh, quilts tied to the uh, beams because we didn't get to drywall in time for, for VBS. But we had the four classrooms. We packed the church for VBS. It was fantastic. It was paid for in less than a year. But what I will never forget is what it felt like to, even in the best of reasons, to steer a congregation through conflict, conflict in the church. And I cannot tell you, I don't tell you enough how good it feels to be pastor of this church that has a clear vision and purpose, and as we read in that lesson, just resonated perfect unity in the gospel. It's powerful stuff. Now, those who are new to faith and maybe even new to this church are often shocked to discover that churches have conflicts, and we, we are not immune to that. Uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth that we heard as our second reading reminds us that that divisiveness and conflict, uh, things uh, from outside of the church come inside of the church as well, politics, and, and start to divide the church, a spirit of divisiveness. And we have new member class. Our first value is unconditional regard for all people. And one of the things that we say is, picture for a moment who you don't want to go to church with, who irritates you out in the world, who disagrees with you, and that's who we think is welcome here also. So, Paul's uh, started this church in Corinth. It was one of the largest centers of commerce in the Roman Empire. It was it had a very metropolitan um, seaside reputation. Uh, Corinth was almost synonymous for corrupt. If you wanted to describe somebody as immoral, you said that they were Corinthianized. Paul spent two years in Corinth. He was the founding pastor of this congregation. He called them together. He preached the gospel. He encoded the community with the DNA of the acceptance and love of Christ. He formed them into a community. And then Paul left to start some other congregations. He started Galatia and in Ephesus and Thessalonica. Uh, But he gets word when he's out there in other parts of Asia Minor that his congregation in Corinth, they've imploded, that they're having a conflict. And Paul cannot resist. He takes up a pencil pen, and he he writes them a letter. Um, This was the problem. Charter members of the congregation uh, had a bit of an attitude about that. Um, They were there when there was no church at all, and uh, from time to time, they reminded the rest of the congregation that we were here first, and therefore, we have more influence and more authority than you have. They often appealed to Paul. Paul taught us to do this, so that's what we need to be doing. 
And then there was a, a second pastor that came along. His name was Cephas. And he brought a whole lot into the congregation. But in particular, he brought kind of the tradition of the church. Because Paul was this mission thing. And here comes Cephas. And he's teaching them, the, quote, the ways of the church. And, uh, and that group of Christians were largely Jewish prior to that. And they just resonated with that. And so they just weren't all that enamored with the charter members. And they kind of knew what they wanted and how they wanted to do church. And then, of course, there were, I think there were those who liked what would be called the new pastor. And, uh, he wasn't the preacher that Paul was, and he wasn't the liturgical expert that Cephas was. And maybe they just thought you ought to support the pastor, whoever's the pastor now, because that's how order works. And their battle cry was, well, we follow Apollos. We follow the new pastor. We are a new pastor now. And then, as the lesson said, there are some who said, well, I don't follow any of them. I just follow Christ, which frankly sounds good, but... I'm not at all certain what that actually means. Um, I know a whole lot of people, it's a problem in our culture, who use Jesus' language but who seem so unlike Christ that it is really hard to give credibility to what they're talking about. Um, Claiming Christ is not the same thing as loving Christ and loving others as Christ loves them. So somehow Paul gets word about this whole conflict and he's upset, he fires off this letter. And the gist of the letter is he's upset that they've lost their focus on Christ, that they've lost the unifying center of what they're about. He's upset that they forgot their great mission to reach out to the world with the love of a resurrected Lord. And it's just really important to think about churches in this context. They still talked about Christ, and they still sang about Christ, and um, they gathered to hear the word, and they shared the sacraments. But their witness to the world Their witness to the world was compromised, was denigrated because of a spirit of divisiveness that had broken out among them. Bear with me for this illustration for just a moment. As I shared last year, it didn't go well at 8 or 9. I don't know why I think it should actually work here at 11, 15 either. Um, I've been spending some time with my brother these last couple of weeks. He's 11 years younger than me, and now he's considerably taller than I am. But at the time, he's 11 years younger than me. He's my little brother. And uh, his memory of that is not quite as joyful as mine. (laughs) Being the oldest, one of the jobs that I had every day was that I, as my job, to make sure everybody had their hat and their coat on and was buttoned, ready to go out to school. And I was quite certain that my brother knew how to button his coat. And he did not need me to button his coat. So I, every single day, I'd button one button and I would just say, just button the rest. And when we were together, uh, we both started laughing because I had this mental image of the day he walked to school all by himself when I buttoned the first button two holes wrong. And he just buttoned the coat like that, and he walked to school looking like, you know, an odd person for sure. Um, This is kind of the point. When you... When you put the first button in the wrong hole, the rest of the things are going to be out of whack. When, when a congregation loses its focus on Christ, it doesn't matter how many other great things that they're doing, but they lose their focus on Christ and things are going to get out of whack. It's like buttoning a coat the wrong way. When a congregation becomes a group of people who major in minors, who major in only what it is that they want and when they, they want it, uh, they lose their focus on Christ and Conflict is not far behind. Uh, our church council met most of the day yesterday. It was a little um, 
mid-year planning session for us. Went down to somebody's business office right on Columbus Commons. It was a great day. The whole agenda was to say, take these strategic stones we've been working on, Dream Bigger, and how are we going to advance them in the next year? Uh, really a powerful session. We all came away pumped up. And we began like we always do. We just prayed for a few moments, and then we reviewed the mission, the vision, and the values of the congregation. If, if you've been to one of our annual meetings, you know every year I get up, I just review those things for us. Now, every member of our church council knows what the mission, vision, and values are. They did not need me to read them to them so that they would know what they were. And we might have gotten away that day, just saving another 20 minutes, just skipping that part. Um, but see, there's really a great danger when you um, have a clear mission and vision, but you put it on a shelf or you move it away from the center and you put it off to the side. See, the challenge is to make those purpose statement kind of things living documents, part of the core values of of who you are as a community. Toward that end, I want to invite you, you got two bulletins when you came out. The small one's called the the weekly reader. If you turn to that for just a moment, turn to the back page. Anybody in publishing, uh, one of the things that you know is that when you put a book together, the first couple pages in the front and the first couple pages in the back are kind of trash pages. When, when the cover falls off, you lose those pages, so you keep the story in the center. Um, most people, by the time they read everything in the weekly reader, and because it's in there every single week, haven't looked at that mission, vision, and values in a long time. Um, and you see where it says, um, our vision, that's the second one. I want to invite you to read that paragraph with me out loud together. Lord of Life Lutheran Church is a community of Christ where we experience God's grace, comfort, and acceptance through each other. From here, everyone is empowered to share, teach, and give what each has received. That is the heart and soul of what this church is about. The challenge for me, as I'm sure it is for you, is to take that kind of Jesus-y language and to bring it into my daily life and our corporate life together. An example of that, and one I'm certain you're familiar with, you've heard the phrase WWJD, what would Jesus do? Now, frankly, you can't answer that unless you know what Jesus did. Uh, it's really important to know what Jesus did. And that's it's kind of my point, that if we're going to uh, be a community of Christ as opposed to a community of Pastor Jim or, or any of your names, uh, we have to know what Christ did and what Christ was about. We need to ground ourselves in the story of the life and the death and the resurrection over the death of Jesus. Um, how he welcomed, how he loved, how he cared, how he died for others, how he triumphed over hatred, over evil, and ultimately even over death itself. So this church, we have, we have a vision. And when I say a vision, I mean a vision. You tell me another organization right in their corporate, corporate information that our vision is life after death. <laughs> That's big for everyone. In this congregation, when we are tempted to be divisive and to be critical, and it's, it's just part of human nature. When we're tempted to prioritize those things that we want, and we want them right now, and, and say whatever we need to say to make those things happen, all of us really need to be asking, um, precisely because we're a community of Christ, well, what exactly would Jesus do here? What, what, what would this look like as a community of Christ rather than as a church? That's the story of Jesus, um, uh, look, there's a big miracle in all this, and we want to make sure we stay grounded in it. And Paul understood it. That's why he could 
speak so directly, um, is that God, God knows us. God knows all of our brokenness, all of our divisiveness. God knows how uh, conflicted we can be. And God loves us anyway. And not loves us, but doesn't like us. And not loves us, but will try hard to respect us. But loves us, loves us the way we are lavishly and relentlessly and radically and extravagantly. That is the story of Jesus. And for some reason, and it is hard to understand the grace in it, God has chosen us, chosen us to be that body of Christ called into a community that will reach out to the world with the love of God. Those of you who have been in the office area know I got a couple signs on the front of my door. Uh, one of them says, no illegal dumping. Another one says, um, we make no claims to be perfect. Now, I want you to let that sink in for a moment. We don't make claims to be perfect. I'm not a perfect pastor. This ain't a perfect church. You're not perfect people. We don't make any claims about perfection. And if you don't believe me, just hang around for a while and we'll show you. When we are, however, a community of Jesus and our dream and our goal and our vision is that we might be a place where we can experience God's grace and comfort and acceptance through each other and in doing so that we would be miraculously empowered to share that with others, what we've received. This is every pastor's prayer that I've ever known. God, spare us from petty division and help us reach out with the love of Christ. Amen.